and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Also, hello there. I'm your host, Ryan Key. Hello there, times three. This is your host, Nick Anbarian. In the building. Hey, dudes. In the fucking Ask Me Anything building. <laughs> Before we ask me anything, how are you guys doing? How are we holding up? This is another quarantine cast. We were talking about it a little bit before we started recording and kind of getting, I think, a little down in the dumps. But is everybody cool? Are we good? Just checking in on my buds. Like, are we okay? Hanging in there. Yeah. Yeah. The not very many highs. Yeah, it's a weird time. Lots of lows. Someone asked me this, and I definitely responded with, oh, just unraveling new layers of hell every day. <laughs> well, Very casually, I, I said that. <laughs> I think everyone out there in Think the Maker Land, honestly, they would be happy to know that, you know, we're all going through it. So I just yep. care about my buds. Same. But you know what, though? I, I feel like we, as touring musicians, are a little better set up for this kind of thing. Yeah. Psychologically, because we've just had to adapt to living different weird ways and whether it's being at home off tour and feeling stir crazy inside or being on tour and living kind of in your bunk, you know, like say you're bummed on something and you just spend a bunch of time in your bunk or you go like you're in the same weird kind of smelly dressing room every day in a different city or you're on warp tour and every parking lot looks the same. We've just been forced to adapt to that kind of shit. So I think I'm doing better than maybe I would if I hadn't lived that life, personally. Absolutely. I feel like I just have more time now, which is cool. I'm being productive. I just need to uh, figure out a way to have my production equal rent money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my thing, too, is just, to your point, especially post-Yellow Card life, I've had to just piece so much stuff together to keep going. And it's been awesome. I've surprised myself at every turn, like how I've been able to just keep going and keep doing new stuff and keep traveling and all that stuff. But I've nonetheless just been like hustling and like finding each new little opportunity I can find. So it's a little harder under the circumstances we all find ourselves in now, especially as musicians. You know, the trick here is like, you don't want to compare yourself or like talk about your problems like they're worse than anybody else's because I can't even imagine. I have it super good as quarantine goes, I, I think, you know, so when I get down, I have to remind myself like, dude, even though you're home and you don't know the future and it's super uncertain, you're still recording. You're still doing the podcast. You're still doing all this stuff and it's there. So just keep your head up and keep forging ahead. So, and I think I've had that mentality since yellow card ended as far as just, dude, you have to keep going. You have to find something new to do tomorrow because you don't have yellow card anymore. And it's like not having whatever we had before COVID started. It's like, you don't have that anymore. So you got to find something new. So I don't know, just trying to stay positive and like keep, keep charging it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I try to emphasize that a lot with people. If anyone's still holding on that, like, we're just going to go back to the way it was. It's just not going to happen. There's the new, hey, how crazy is it that the new Strokes record is called The New Abnormal? How did they know? <laughs> that, it know. just came out like two weeks ago. How did they? Foresight. Like, yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. They're time travelers slash maybe aliens from Men in Black. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about good stuff. Let's make people happy. Let's get into this thing. So as you may know from probably whatever episode title we're going to pick, this is an AMA episode. All of these questions come directly from Patreon. So anyone who is at the Jedi tier, which is the $6 per episode support level, got to submit questions. We've, of course, taken questions before, but this is a straight up AMA full episode of Intercepted Transmissions for our Jedi patrons. Where are those transmissions? Transmission commencing. Accepted Imperial transmission. Transmission received. All right, let's get started. From the top, Ian Thompson asked a question that he ended up messaging us again saying, I think you already sort of answered this, but I think this is different enough from the one that we answered before. Do it again. Yeah. He said, if each of you had the ability to greenlight a new film, trilogy, or TV show around anything or anyone in the Star Wars galaxy, what would you choose to explore? So this isn't necessarily what we would create on our own, but if we were Kathleen Kennedy, say, and we had to give the green light to something or had the opportunity to, what would we pick? Mine goes, I know all the questions already. I'm cheating on this test because I have all the questions in front of me. So this ties into one of the later questions, not on purpose. It just does because this is my answer to this. I want to see a Vader film. I want to see like a Star Wars story that explores post-Revenge of the Sith, pre-A New Hope. I want to see... Vader's coming of age. Yeah. So much there. 
completely agree with that. That's amazing. But I would just go, since you took my answer. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, right. I want to see what Ben was doing in the hole when he when Palpatine threw him down there. I want a whole film of that. <laughs> ben down the hole? Ben Solo yeah. down the hole? Yeah. It's a real-time no, I mean, short film. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I would stick with Ben and Kylo, though. I think that that's something that in our lifetime we'll get that story. But that would be my choice for sure. I mean, it's covered in the comics a little bit, but I, I would even go like even younger and have more Ben with Han and Leia. That's not really well. They in the could comics. cast yeah. younger for a Disney yeah, Plus series, sure. which would be awesome. Yeah. Plenty of kids with big ears out there ready to act. <laughs> also, I, I'll just say, even though I haven't watched the Clone Wars to its completion yet, I know that the more I get into it, some kind of standalone pre or post Clone Wars Ahsoka Tano show would be super sick whether it's animated or not or, or live action yeah, yeah absolutely sorry adam we are just walking all over you what do you got all good my answer is a little bit of both of yours do you even like star wars dude <laughs> yeah i'm really more of a star trek guy do you even force bro <laughs> uh, so we talked about this before in the podcast but i want the obi-wan series to actually be parallel stories vader and obi-wan's growth post yeah. order 66 post mustafar duel i talked about that before so go back and listen I just think it would be so sick. There's so much character shit there. It's so deep. But honestly, if I could for real green light anything, it would be essentially just guaranteeing that Ray, Finn, and Poe's stories continue. It, we're just hitting the fucking tip of the iceberg with them. And like we talked about in the timeline episode, it's a really short period of time that we get. So there's so much there. I want to see a new generation of Jedi under Ray's teaching, Ray Skywalker's teaching. I want to see her full potential as a mature, wise, older Jedi. I want to see the return of Ben Solo as a Force ghost. So much good shit. That's what I want. Also, the idea that Rey isn't necessarily... she She's a Jedi, but but I think that some of that let the past die mm -hmm. was adopted by her. Like I, I think yeah, there yeah. were certain things about Ben that she related to and wanted the same things and felt the same way. So there could be the idea that does Ray have children at some point, you know, or yeah. is that part of like the next generation of Jedi? And, you know, she trains them in, in the way that Luke trained Leia and that kind of, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. The story could go on for so long and it's over. So I'm, yeah. I'm with that for sure. And there's Finn too, you know, they're, they're buddies. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Train him. He's going to be a Jedi. Right. Clearly. Where does that go? Yeah. All right. Brandon Gonzalez has a question for Ryan. He says, you quoted Yoda on Surface of the Sun from Yellow Card by singing, do or do not, because there is no try. I remember that you tweeted, I couldn't find the tweet, he says, there was a Force Awakens reference on Yellow Card's final album. At least for him, it wasn't as clear as the first reference, so which song is it specifically? It's not as clear. It's not quite as direct of do or do not. There is no try. I'm, I almost after the fact, I was like, should I have done that? Was it too on the nose? Maybe it was. I don't know. But as I have said on the show, Yoda's my boy. Yoda's my teacher. But on the final record, the song that the reference is in, and it definitely is inspired by a scene in The Force Awakens. The song is called The Herd Is Gone. And in the second verse, I say, feel darkness and the light wrestle in your mind. You know it's there. It's always been right there. I'm referencing the scene where Maz is telling Ray, close your eyes, feel the light. It's always been there. That's one of my favorite Star Wars moments. That whole scene, the flashback, everything about that scene. I, I love it. And I love Maz bringing the Yoda to The Force Awakens in a lot of ways, you know. And also, I think in The Rise of Skywalker, she brought it more than she did in The Last Jedi with the trade dispute or whatever that was. Right. But <laughs> she kind of brings that sage wisdom to the sequel trilogy. And I loved that scene and I love that line so i worked it into a song in a less direct way but still you know referencing the scene pretty directly that's awesome i'm jealous lucas bracklin says it's like a would you rather that is only shitty stuff there's nothing good about either of these things would you rather be eaten by a sarlacc or a wampa please put this soundbite in in its belly Maybe you will find a new definition of pain and suffering as you are slowly digested over a thousand I love that pause. Over a thousand years. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Wampa. Yeah. It's going to suck, Same. but pretty much going to rip your limbs off, pull out your guts. It's going to take about a half hour. It's going to be a real terrible way to go. But 
you're not going to somehow be alive for a thousand years while you're being digested. <laughs> yeah, I for sure immediately thought of that 3PO line. And I was like, mm, I'd rather die and have it hurt a lot for like 30 minutes or so than anything over a thousand years. If somehow the Sarlacc has a way to keep you alive and slowly digest you, that's probably just actually hell, I would assume. Yeah, because even if it just means it takes that long for your, like, it's some weird sci-fi preserving your flesh as it digests you for a thousand yeah. years, the <laughs> part where you die has to take, like, days, yeah. if not weeks, if not months, you know, like, whatever. It's, it's not cool. I don't want it. So here's my thought. Thinking of these both as earthly animals as, as much as I can with something like a sarlacc, you figure you go down something's throat into their stomach. I mean, if you've seen like the cross section of one of those, it's like a, just a, a really long esophagus kind of thing. So I would figure that you'd probably suffocate in a couple minutes. You'd be like squished and smashed and probably suffocate. Even if it could preserve your flesh for a thousand years, you'd still die. So I would rather suffocate than be like <laughs> mauled like Leonardo DiCaprio, just have my body ripped apart and eaten alive. So I'd rather suffocate in a couple minutes. And then the Sarlacc could enjoy a treat for the next thousand years. Was that a Revenant reference? Yeah. So, God, what a scene. Ugh, so gnarly. But, you know, that's... Yeah, where you put in the sample of Dio saying, no, thank you. <laughs> you should. That's a, it's a really good point. Never thought of it that way, and you're probably right. Winner, winner, Sarlacc dinner, Adam Russell. You have to think the thousand years thing is just like a scare tactic. You know what I mean? A thousand years. It's like, yeah, a hey, 3PO. Drop this shit on them. See what they say. <laughs> All right. Nicholas Crawford says, first, if there was one character in the Star Wars universe that you could replace for a day, you could live out their life, essentially, to see the story from their perspective, who would you pick and why? If I get to replace a character, I'm going to assume that means I'm also getting to play the character and react to the things happening around me as the character. Yeah, you are them and you experience their life as they would. I'm going to try to do everyone in the Star Wars universe a favor and pick Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> That's I just, a great like, answer. It's in hindsight, obviously, but I would be stoked to have a stab, to take a stab. Because the word replace made me think, okay, well, I get to replace this character and like live a day in their life as me living a day in their life. So I thought... I would do Jar Jar, so maybe I could change it up a little bit and maybe yeah. give him a little bit more of a future in the franchise. It's like a very if I can't meta change anything. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But if I can't change anything and I'm just jumping into the shoes of and living a day as, I I probably go Han. Word. Han Empire. Word. That's when he was just at his most badass. You know. It's when he dropped the line, Nick. I'm gonna go with because I'm I'm on a never ending Anakin kick. I would still say I want to know what we've talked about this a bunch. I want to know what's going on in Anakin's head as he's Vader at that point, post Revenge of the Sith. But the the one reason I bring that up is because when he slices Mace's hand off and the Emperor throws Mace out the window. Mace out the window. Yeah. <laughs> when all that's over, Anakin says, what have I done? You know, he has, like, regret. He questions himself. So, obvious conflict there. And just from reading a couple of books here and there, uh, Vader and Palpatine do have, like, a bitchy back and forth. They're yeah. not just, they're not boys. Palpatine could see Vader's thoughts and vice versa. I think Palpatine knows that there's conflict always. So, I kind of just want to know how much Anakin would regret, like, the months following Revenge of the Sith, because you're led to believe that it's just all consuming, but it's actually kind of, I feel like, the opposite, that I think that there is always conflict there. And we get to see in A New Hope and post A New Hope that him finding out that he has a son really just starts to make that turn start to happen quicker. Like the conflict yeah. is there and him finding out that there is a child out there just really starts to accelerate that turn. I back that answer. I would, this is probably not the answer that anyone expects from a 40-year-old person. I would say almost definitely Ray. Number one, I'd be the most powerful Jedi of all time. You're all of them. I'm all of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Number two, I'd get to spend time with all of my favorite people from this whole thing, being mentored by Han, Luke, and Leia. Get to hang out with Chewie, 
you end up owning the fucking Millennium Falcon. You get to hang out with all the sweet droids. And then eventually get to learn how to speak to any Jedi through the Force, including Obi-Wan, Yoda, Qui-Gon, everybody. So it's kind of the best. It's like Jedi Google. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do I do this? Text. So that was a two-part question that I clearly misread. And everything I said in my answer, I apologize to everyone who listens to our podcast. Moving on. <laughs> Danny Lamas wants to know, what is your dream attraction or ride if Disney were to expand Galaxy's Edge? So. We can't go back and do, you know, a throwback Atari arcade trench run X-Wing thing. But the thing about going on Smuggler's Run, it's awesome. But, you know, we've talked about how when you get on there with, if it's three of us, but we get on the ride with three people we don't know and three Eight people year that olds, don't. Eight-year-olds, dude. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> three people that don't care or don't, well, you know, whatever. Like, we, we're at a level of nerd that, that it matters. Like your performance on Smuggler's Run matters to us. Right. And so I think there has to be a way where they could still process the same amount of people through. Like if, if everyone was kind of seeing and experiencing the same thing, but you sort of had your own cockpit in a way. I don't know the science behind how they could do it, but some kind of X-Wing ride. Yeah. Like where you, you're alone in the cockpit with a droid. And you get to make some some choices. The droid gets to, to fix some things. You know, you have to hit the buttons to, like, suggest what the droid fixes and win in a timely fashion or else you're penalized or the ship is broken. You know, whatever. But the idea that you could get an individual rider kind of situation on an X-Wing ride, I know it would probably be hard for, for people getting through the line. I'm not sure how everyone can have an individual experience. But maybe if there was a way, you, go, you still go on with, say, you go with six people. And it's like multiplayer online Call of Duty style where you're in the cockpit. Each of you have your own X-Wing, but you're all fighting the same mission. And yeah, yeah. so it reacts to all six of you. That's my dream ride. Nick? I love that. I want to change my answer to that. That's great. Disney, I need a job. <laughs> so if you Imagineers are looking for someone. <laughs> have you guys done The Void in downtown Disney? The, Fuck yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The virtual reality thing. So the first time I got out of that, I was like, that was life changing. And I wish it was three hours long. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like, I was like, same. I immediately see thing. how this is an issue. Like virtual reality is an issue because I would rather live in the fake virtual Star Wars world than the real world. Matrix me up, put IVs in me and just let me live in that world. I'll do it right now. Yeah, I know. So I, I I don't know. I just kind of expanded on that where, you know, how in Rise of Resistance, you're kind of, you know, it's, there's a lot of different experiences within the one experience. I, I really do think that it would be great for that kind of Rise of the Resistance, you know, jumping off one ship, hopping on another one, actually getting on like a trackless ride. But if there was sort of a VR thing in there where you're, on another planet or something. And again, like kind of like you said, having the X-Wing kind of playing together. I know it sucks when like people don't know what they're doing on Smuggler's Run. But uh, if you are playing together with like a group of other stormtroopers or whatever, as one part of a bigger plan of like you put on VR goggles and have a mission for 15 minutes, but then you take those off and then the ride really starts, something like that. Yeah. I yeah. think that there's so much room there. Like, how much more immersive can you get than Rise of Resistance unless you actually put on VR goggles and, and go for it? So that it's would be coming. It. It's coming. You, you, for you sure. have to think that Disney is investing in the idea of virtual and augmented reality in a big way. Yeah. They just don't. They're not going to do it until it's fully ready to be the most badass thing you've ever experienced. Well, yeah. they brought in the Void as part of their, their Disney X Labs. That's the reason the Void exists on the scale that they do is because of Disney's funding. So they're about it. My answer is exactly the same as Ryan's, and I have fully mapped out in my head exactly how to make all this happen at the same scale. Holler at me, Disney. You don't need to. You know how to do it. But secondly, I, same thing. I'm obsessed with VR. When it's fully a thing and I can get in and be a Jedi in VR, it's going to be a problem for the rest of everyone else in my life. Yep. It's going to be a problem to go to work and to be normal with humans because I'm going to want to live in that fucking universe. Clifford Alba who also suggested some episode and content ideas, some good shit there. He says, or he asks, would you rather have yourself be created as a Star Wars character in an ongoing movie slash animated series slash comic, whatever it is, or meet George Lucas and pick his brain for a day talking about Star Wars? I would 
100% want to meet George Lucas for a day and talk about Star Wars. I don't have a need to be immortalized in the Star Wars universe as a like, character, I don't, I don't think. I've been really lucky in my time as a musician to meet and hang out, on certain occasions, legitimately hang out with some of the biggest idols in my life, some musicians that are the reasons I'm a musician. And so I know how impactful those experiences can be. And having an experience like that with George Lucas, if he was into it, you know, like, yeah, dude, let's sit down and have some coffee and talk for, for the day. Let's hang for the day. I'll show you Scott Walker Ranch and we could talk about Star Wars all day. I can only imagine how enriching that experience would be because I've had similar experiences to that with artists that I have looked up to since I was a child. When it goes right, it's the coolest thing that's ever happened to you. So I would definitely love that opportunity. I'll go with very specifically an animated character. Because you want, you want to know why? The, the second you guys threw over the updated Tank the Maker image, where it was the three of us animated, I yeah. was like, oh shit, I'm a Jedi. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't want to, you know. By the way, go I was just going to say shout out to Justine Raymond, who does the artwork for Thank the Thank Maker. Thank you so she, much. She is a boss. And, talk. and she's just killed it for us. So Justine, we love you. I'm very, very stoked on that. Good job. I mean, that would be it. I feel like if I was not animated and it was just, you know, live action movie or TV show or whatever, I, you ever like watch people on like Colbert or whatever? And they're like, oh, I don't watch my own movies. I don't want to look at myself. I feel like I would be that type of person. Like I would never want to see myself. I would be way too critical of just me instead of taking in like the show or movie as a whole. I would just be concentrating on me. But I feel like animation, I would just be like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, it's me, but it's not me. This is awesome. So I'm going to go with that, specifically an animated character. Real quick, you can follow Justine, the artist that did our artwork, at J Marie Ray, J-M-A-R-I-E-R-A-Y on Twitter. She does awesome stuff. You can check out all her art, and she's an incredible talent. So we're lucky to have her. Sweet. I've always had this thing in my later adult life that I am afraid of Star Wars being demystified for me. I don't like watching behind the scenes too much because most Star Wars characters, I don't even want to know them as actors that are in other films. I was like that with Lost, like big time. I won't see any movies that any of those people are in. I won't watch other shows because I want them to only be those characters. I want that universe to be as real for me as possible. So breaking the fourth wall going in would further fuck that up for me, I think. But... This wasn't presented as an option, but if there was like a, a game, like if Jedi Fallen Order, if there was a new character and I was that character with a story and all that cool shit, and I would get to play that character and see me animated. Yeah, I would be about that. George Lucas, I think he's awesome, but at this point, I can watch plenty of interviews and shit and read about what's in his brain. And I think he probably thinks a lot of things. I know he doesn't like the sequels, and I would not want to get into it with him about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I would skip that lunch. Uh, Mike Matarisi, old friend of mine, played bass in a band called Monty R.I. Still does. I, technically, I guess I just did a reunion show. This is a great question. And I don't have a firm answer, personally. First of all, about Mike, he's from Providence. All these dudes are from Providence. Their singer, Steve Aiello, he plays bass and keys in 30 Seconds to Mars. Steve has like this amazing, super Italian, Rhode Island dude accent. Mm-hmm. And he fully owns it, so... All the story of the year dudes, we always called Mike, Mike, and spelled his name M-O-I-K-E because of how Steve, Mike. <laughs> hey, Mike, love those guys. Mike's question is, who has been a better steward of the franchise? George Lucas, J.J. Abrams, Dave Filoni, Favreau, insert anyone he's missing. He says, obviously, Lucas created it, but who contributed most to keeping the franchise going? Well, my problem answering this question is that I haven't watched the Clone Wars all the way through. So... I'm, I'm going to go with J.J. Abrams because, like you, Adam, I was such a massive fan of Lost, which is what got me into the Abrams-verse, you know? Told the Cloverfield story where I got to audition for him and meet him and read on camera in front of him. And so definitely, you know, connected in that way in my mind to how, how radical that experience was. But I just remember when he came out, the news that he was going to be directing the first installment in the sequel trilogy, the genuine passion and excitement and love coming out of him for not just Star Wars, but Star Wars fans, it was so tangible. And I, I think if you're asking who's the best 
steward of a ship, you know, the, as far as I know, again, I haven't seen the Clone Wars all the way through. And I, I, I know from sources I trust a lot that it's incredible, you know, so I, I know that's there. But the universe of Star Wars that I know, I just think J.J. Stewart, as far as like carrying it on into the future, you know, I, I would say that that's my vote. This for sure is a very difficult question because the answer is all of them, really, because it's all based off of time, you know, man, (laughs) I'm not going to pick all of them, but the answer is all of them. But I had to really think about this. And there is almost like a, you know, like a, a bracket system where you'd be like, well, George Lucas is not involved per se anymore. So like his like bracket ends at a certain point, J.J. Abrams did some great stuff. He did two movies, but he doesn't connect to the animation. John Favreau, in a creative sense, only has to do with just The Mandalorian. And then you have Dave Filoni, who has literally at this point been in all of that stuff in some way. So it's almost like he has the most far-reaching reach, or like in this diagram, the biggest bracket where he, Filoni and Favreau are doing Mandalorian together. Filoni and George Lucas have been doing the Clone Wars and Filoni did Rebels. So it's almost like he has like a three or four pronged bracket where everyone else's like little tree ends at a certain point. I mean, obviously George Lucas is at the top of all this, but his creative input is kind of no longer at this point, even though we we keep seeing him pop up in every single movie set and TV show. I feel like he's kind of just a consultant at this point. Right. But yeah, I mean, my answer would be Filoni, just because I also feel like he combined with Favreau have, they are the future, I think. Like, it's just as far as Star Wars goes. I think that's a great answer and says everything that I would have said. I would say my favorite out of the group is, is JJ, but that's not the question. So I think Filoni, because he has worked so much with George, has worked so much with the newer generation of these content creators in Star Wars he's kind of best positioned to move us forward. So he's probably the answer. Yeah. And he's Nick, just... I like that you said Favreau's the future. Yeah. That's such a cool thought to me only because I've been such a dedicated John Favreau fan since I was a kid in high school and Swingers came out, you know, his first like yeah. kind of real step onto the scene, you know, following his career into the Marvel universe. It's just, it's crazy. When I remember when Iron Man started happening, thinking like, what, wait, swingers to this so it's been such a cool journey to follow and i know he has an insane passion for star wars and and the star wars universe so yeah. it's gonna be awesome to see what he does going forward i mean mandalorian and beyond like you got to think who knows if he gets to do features now i mean he's an amazing feature film director we know that so and writer so we know that and and i mean who knows what he gets to do going forward yeah, and just in a Star Wars sense, Filoni and Favreau have created two characters that are beloved by Star Wars people. Like, J.J. Abrams, you can't say that for. Yep. And even George Lucas, you can't say that for. He created Jar Jar right. Binks. Like, he does, he's not batting a thousand either. So, like, Filoni and Favreau have Din Djarin and the Mandalorian and Ahsoka under their belt. Like, they've circumvented the shitty Star Wars fans by creating these two characters that people love. And the most universally loved the only cute thing in Star Wars that is universally loved by yeah. treating the child. Yeah. Even the grumpiest of Star Wars fans still back the child. Baby Yoda. Absolutely. And the biggest reveal since yeah. I'm your father. Yeah. Baby Yoda is the biggest reveal since that moment. Uh, I just got like goosebumps thinking about the <laughs> end gonna, of that episode. I'm going to watch it tonight before I go to bed. So fucking good, man. All right. Ray Ray. I don't know if he's, if he goes by Ray Ray or Ray is his first and last name. He signed this message, Ray. So. Let's go with first and last name. I like that. <laughs> I hope that's the case. <laughs> Can I say something really quick while we do that? If anyone yeah. noticed at the end of the first Rambo reboot, like the one that came out in the mid 2000s, when Stallone is walking down the road to like his, his dad's house, the mailbox says R Rambo. And so <laughs> after the film, we all were just like, oh yeah, it was Rambo Rambo. We finally know that now. <laughs> like his dad's name was Rambo Rambo. <laughs> that's incredible. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, Ray Ray mentions um, he and I talked about Star Wars in Perth in Australia. Good hang. I remember that. Uh, he also says, hopefully one day, Story of the Year Bayside and Ryan Key can do a tour together. Maybe stop by Australia. I back that idea. As soon as touring is available, can we three please go to Australia? It's the best tour. 
It's fucking A. For real, Australia is kind there, of I just the, said the best. I just said fucking A. Absolutely. <laughs> Australia and Japan. If you're a betting you know, I just, man. I just remembered one of the sound waves. I mean, I wonder if you guys would have been on it, but one of the sound waves on one of the days off, like the traveling Star Wars show was in a museum somewhere over there, like props and like movie used costumes and all that type of stuff. And I remember us finding that out and it was like whatever, 30 Australian bucks or whatever. And Jack, our guitarist, is like the king of doing things like this, but he just called the museum up and just lied. And he was like, yeah, our tour manager uh, said we're, we're, we're allowed to come in for free. And, you know, <laughs> like this stuff specifically works in Australia and Canada because they're just nice people. So we've actually gotten into the Hockey Hall of Fame and like um, whatever museum was hosting the like Star Wars traveling <laughs> show, whatever you want to call it. But he's just like, yeah, no, our tour manager, we're, we're here with Soundwave. Uh, tour manager said we're allowed to come in for free. And they're just like, uh, Okay. Okay. Sure. <laughs> complete abuse of your station. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been on the one sound wave, the weird half-ass one. Counter-revolution. Yeah. But on that one, we were there on the weekend of May the 4th, and there was a museum in Sydney that was doing a, a mini con happening. It wasn't just like right. the exhibit. They had all kinds of other shit, and I went and hung out, and it was fucking awesome. Hmm. Anyway, the question is... If you could each add anything to a Star Wars movie, what would it be? I.e. story, plot twist, character, event, etc. Whatever. So not change necessarily. He's saying if we could add something. I don't know how it would be possible to add anything to the two and a half hour runtime of The Last Jedi. But they were already using the facility of flashbacks. Part of that film was going back and showing Ben and Luke's conflict and things like that. So I would definitely, if allowed to, because I don't care if the movie's six hours long, like, let's go. Uh, I'll <laughs> yeah. sit there. I'll sit there for it. So if I'm allowed to add something, I think there could have been a cool use of flashback. I, look, personally, I'm not upset that it wasn't there. I'm not one of the fans that when Snoke died was just all up in arms about not knowing who Snoke was before he died. I've said this before. I already saw the emperor and I, I already saw this story. So it wasn't super important to me. I was much more concerned with Ben and Ray than I was with Snoke. But if they could have thrown in some kind of flashback tied in with Snoke turning Ben's heart, as Luke put it, mm, yeah. you know, so that we could have seen some of that at the same time, I think it could have been a really cool parallel and given us some of the backstory on Snoke at the same time, thus silencing some of the keyboard warriors out there. Mine is more of an addition by subtraction. It was really, I'm not uh, the Rise of Skywalker apologist at all. It is what it is. I like it. I love it. I think that for me, I appreciated the information that Rey was Palpatine's granddaughter. I took it for what it was. I think that that scene was meant to be as heavy as I am your father, Vader and Luke. And it wasn't. And I think that because Adam Driver is such an emotive, very, very awesome actor, he should have had his helmet off there. And I think that that would have made that scene entirely more heavy. And I don't know why JJ or whoever really made that last call had the helmet on. It could be as simple as, well, Vader had his helmet on when he told Luke. So why wouldn't Kylo have his helmet on? But that's what we've been waiting for for at that point for five years. And I think if you got to see Adam Driver's face legitimately acting out that line, that scene would have hit heavier. So to me, that would be a addition by subtracting a helmet. <laughs> addition by subtraction, <laughs> album name. <laughs> I would add Anakin into The Rise of Skywalker. I guess we're all on the same page about this. Yeah. Yeah, we heard his voice, but... I think we needed more to tie in whether it's like him reaching out to Ben because we found out that what Ben thought was Darth Vader speaking to him was bullshit. It was Snoke. So since this is the Anakin Skywalker story or it's supposed to be, I think we needed a tie in and supposedly someone was filmed. Rumor has it Hayden Christensen. There's footage of him. He came and shot the whole thing. I don't know if we'll ever get that confirmed, but I would have been down and I would have loved to see Hayden Christensen directed by J.J. Abrams. It's really all I wanted. I, I wasn't going to die on a hill for that one. But if anyone asked me, what, what do I think is going to happen or what do I want? I'm like, that's the only thing I want. But if it doesn't happen, fine. But we got a solid 20 percent of him yeah. in the movie. 
I would say. Not 20% of the movie, but yeah. just getting some lines means that he was in the movie. Aaron Cox uh, first says he loves all of our music and the podcast. Thanks, bud. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. He would love to hear us expound on the idea of a standalone R-rated Lord Vader type movie a la X-Men's Logan film. Fuck yeah. He talks about taking it from the first time he suits up, maybe through A New Hope, showing how big of a badass he was, you know, seeing him doing other things than kind of like the old school bad guy that just stands around and says mean stuff. (laughs) Vader's coming. (laughs) Run. (laughs) Right. So just like we talked about Rogue One, we see him really kicking ass. So I guess he just wants us to kind of talk about how we would approach that if we were the filmmakers. What would be some of our must-include storyboard moments or topics? Well, I'll come at this from like a filmmaking standpoint and not so much from an individual scene thing. So we can each kind of go through different things, but it wouldn't necessarily have to be R-rated in this universe of, of films, which I think is a good thing. Logan is one of my, one of my, maybe my favorite superhero film. It might actually be my favorite of all of them. And I love them all. I watch them all. You know, I'm, I'm a dork. I'm into it. So I think we all have to remember and correct me if I'm wrong, but Logan was pre Disney Marvel acquisition. Yeah. I don't think Logan comes out now under the Disney umbrella. Wasn't it also not a, it was not, it was a Sony. I believe it was a Sony picture. It wasn't a Marvel studios picture, but they still had to get the licensing from Marvel to use the character's name and likeness. Right. And I don't know all the legal jargon to cover that professionally. I, I would, be talking out of my ass. I don't know what to say about that. I just know that there has to be something where they were licensing it, you know, and I don't see Disney licensing Wolverine to Sony to make that film now. So I'm very glad that it happened when it happened because it's an absolute incredible, it, what an achievement that film was for superhero, for the superhero genre. I say all that because that film was awesome because you wanted to see Logan in that way. You wanted to see the roughneck, F-bomb dropping, slashing people with no remorse version of Wolverine, which is hinted at through the history of the X-Men comics and obviously more in modern times than the original. But he's a violent guy all along, especially when he's not Wolverine, when he's just Logan, he's, he's a violent guy. And someone had the idea after reading Old Man Logan, let's go make this movie the same way that we would be talking about making this movie about Vader, where we're going to show this darker side. We're going to show the less original trilogy Michael Myers version of Vader where it's where you know they were limited to the effect practical effects and things they had to make Vader intimidating the way they did now you'd get to see him doing more stuff like he did in Rogue One which we've all agreed is one of the coolest scenes in Star Wars history facts but I think you could keep the film rated PG-13 is what I'm getting at so I don't think it would be that complicated to make and that's why I'm excited actually legitimately excited about the potential for this film something like it maybe happening Because if you put a poll out to fans, and I know that Kathleen Kennedy and Disney are super sensitive to the fan base right now and what they're looking for. Look at what we're all dealing with with Solo. You know, they feel like it wasn't received well, so they didn't keep going with it. You know, I think they're sensitive to what people want right now. And if you were to ask the whole fan base, what do they want in a Star Wars story film? everyone's going to say a Vader for sure. We're not the the first group of dudes to talk about that on, on a podcast or, or elsewhere. So I'm, I'm just trying to say that I don't think it would have to be R rated. I think it's a very doable thing. I think it's a film that can be made within the Disney empire. I think it can fall under that umbrella safely and not have to branch out into all the kind of like gore and violence that Logan did so amazingly well. But as far as what I'd want to see, I'm sure you guys are both going to cover everything I would dream of seeing in that film. So I definitely think it can get made, and I think it could get made by Disney, whereas I don't think Logan could get made by Disney now. Nick? Uh, I approached this as like in what would be a Disney R-rated Star Wars movie. I like kept all the ingredients there. I didn't just kind of go off on a tangent and figure out what I would want to see. I just kind of almost kept what I know to be what Disney would want, what Star Wars is, and then figure out where Rated R would come into that. And I just think it would be like showing more of what we know is happening, whether it's beheadings or limbs getting cut off. Like, why wouldn't someone crush someone's skull, you know, with the force? Right. You know, like that type of thing. Not necessarily like 
Tromaville, like gore, but like, you know, how often do we see anyone bleed in Star Wars? It's very, right, very right. rare. I don't know if people have blood. Well, that's the glory of a lightsaber is it doesn't make you bleed. It like yeah, singes the wound. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I think you could keep this movie PG-13 and still make it violent as hell. Totally. But that was it. I mean, it would be, you know, how like we're, you know, the sequel trilogy is uh, exploring new force powers or whatever. It's it's kind of like what if Vader like fully via like osmosis ripped all of the blood out of your body <laughs> you know like yeah, just yeah. Like, like kind of things like that would be mortal like, combat right. fatalities via totally, Darth Vader. Yeah, absolutely and there's things like just on the newest episode of clone wars there's someone's arm gets cut off but like of course they don't show it they just show an arm hit the ground you know it's like that that is probably the closest thing you're going to get to like a rated r disney thing is just kind of showing what they're not showing right now it's happening but they're just not showing it think about that scene at the the end of rogue one though like where he where he plants that dude in the ceiling and then kind of you you don't see his guts fall out yeah. so that's kind of what you're saying i hear you but still he like slammed this dude in the ceiling and, oh, and the totally. lightsaber coming through the dude's torso yeah, through the yeah. door absolutely i think i think seeing all of that happen for two and a half hours or whatever would give you satisfaction even though yeah. you didn't necessarily see the arm gore you know you'd still yeah. just be like what we could use a good stuff. skull crush though i think you're right Totally. And then that's just open, like opening up a can of worms. Like, what can you do? Like rip people's blood out, like just having like a fully human form of blood next to the actual body or ripping people's bones out. I don't know. It just opens yeah. up a can of worms of things to do with the force. But there was a second part of this question about uh, it says as a filmmaker, what would be some of your must include storyboard topics? I have something that I always go back to, and it's it's in a novel, Lords of the Sith. I have to see this, even if it's just, I guess, at this point animated, I'll take it. But I'm going to I want to read you this thing that I've never read a better excerpt in a Star Wars novel of something like this fully. I read it like three times in a row when I read it. I was just like, what? He did what? This is insane. <laughs> OK, so this is Vader in the, in the midst of a battle. And it's from the book, uh, the novel Lords of the Sith. Vader hit a switch and depressurized the interceptor's cockpit his armor shielding him from the vacuum of space. Then as he neared the transport's midline, still swinging his ship left to right to dodge the incoming fire, he selected a spot on the transport adjacent to the gun bubble and using the force took a firm mental hold on it. His interceptor streaked towards the gun bubble, aimed directly at it. Content with his trajectory, he unstrapped himself, overrode the interceptor's safeties, threw open the cockpit hatch, and ejected himself into space. Immediately, he was spinning in zero-G, the ship and stars alternating positions with rapidity. Yet, he kept his mental hold on the airlock handle, and his armor, sealed and pressurized, sustained him in the vacuum of space. So he's just straight up ejecting himself from his interceptor, Aiming the interceptor to cr have a crash course with the ship that he's in battle with, and he's just floating in space and pulling himself in, I guess, a la Leia, pulling himself in towards where he needs to go. And it's just like the most badass thing, which answers a little bit of the question. Vader's suit could exist. Vader could be in space. It's fucking that awesome. The whole scenario is just insane. And I want to see that. I want to see Vader in space doing force things sacrificing his tie to like have a crash course with like the gunner bubble of the whatever ship he's going for like it just the whole thing is just like this is storyboard this and and put this scene even if it's like one of those like 10 minute youtube clips or whatever that someone right. a fan made youtube clip like i need to see this it's so awesome i think all of that stuff is so sick and goes without saying that some things like that would be included in a vader film because everyone, every single Star Wars fan that's old enough to have seen the original trilogy before the prequels or to remember it in that order wants him to be as badass as young Anakin was in Revenge of the Sith, right? Yeah. So I don't think anyone would make this film without badass stuff like that. So that's a given. No. I want to see really well done the emotional type shit that we get from Kylo slash Ben, mm -hmm. that relationship stuff. I want to see flashbacks visions where he you know nightmares he thinks he's talking to padme and he's clearly not she's not force sensitive you know so all that emotional turmoil i want to see that as far as like must see storyboard moments i want to see his face with the mask off i don't want to just see him floating yeah. in the back to tank like from a distance i want to see his face 
charred, burned. You know what I mean? I want to see his eyes. Yeah. Yeah, like full scenes. Full scenes where he doesn't have the mask on. Right. Moving on. Crystal Padilla, longtime Yellow Card fan. We love Crystal. Been on the podcast in question form several times. We know how to pronounce her name now. So this question is for all of us. If you are not in the music industry at all, what would you be doing for a career today? I guess this question assumes if we hadn't been rather than if we stopped being in the music industry. I think it's if, if you hadn't been, where do you think you would have ended up? That's the way I read the question. Go for it. I, I would have gone one of two ways, and it's similar to what happens when you try to be in the music business. I started doing theater when I was five or six years old, dedicated my whole youth, high school, early years of college to doing that. You know, in my mind, I, I was going to kill it and I was going to move to New York and I was going to do theater in New York and then who knows where that would go, you know, but there's me and Brad accepting our Academy Awards and like having drinks at the after party <laughs> together and that's one way or... Brad Pitt, right? I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. We go way back. Our buddy Brad. We go way back. Or I would be making burritos at Chipotle trying to be an actor. <laughs> so those are the two sort of paths I think I, I would have taken. Chipotle has great benefits, man. I've never had a benefits job, so I don't know what that is, but I bet I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're right. Although I would say, I think at some point, if I had realized that I wasn't going to be getting cocktails with Brad af- after the Academy Awards, like if I realized it wasn't going that way, I actually probably would have been into going to Disney and applying for something and kind of working my way up there and working for at with Disney in some way. That'd be sick. Every time I'm there, I'm like, this would be the best. I know every job you see, you're like, that looks like the coolest job. You, that's like not, you yeah. get paid. Oh, I'm sure. You work there to be able to go there for free, you know, <laughs> yeah. not, not to make money. But I think there's a lot of other opportunities there, obviously, outside of working in the park and stuff. As you get older, like you could work before, you know, get into Imagineering, get into whatever. All that stuff probably would have interested me in some way. So I don't know. I've always thought how cool it would have been to have a career working with or for Disney. So that might've been a cool option, but I think knowing myself in the way I'm just like hyper ambitious and I don't quit and I don't give up. I would be, if I, if I wasn't at an Oscars after party, which probably that's not a likely outcome, I would be like waiting tables and still getting after it. Like still auditioning, you know, every free minute I had trying to be an actor. Cause that's what I grew up dreaming to be. Word. Nick. Just to riff off of the Disney thing, it's really funny because they they employ all age groups. So, you know, like a 90-year-old person will, like, scan your ticket, you know? I'm just like, oh, man, you know what? When I'm, like, 60-something, I'm just going to be this guy. Like, I'm just going to be working. Fuck, yeah. You know? Hell, yeah. And now that I'm just, like, looking down the next year of no touring, I'm just like, I worst-case scenario, I'll get a job. And then the one place I would think to get a job is also closed, which is Disney. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that sucks. But my my dream, you know, growing up, I played a lot of roller hockey and got into just ice hockey in general. If I had like half a foot more height, that would be my dream. Like if I was just six foot three, I would love to be a hockey player. I'm wearing a, a St. Louis Blues uh, shirt for you, Adam. Thanks, bro. <laughs> Yeah, you could have been a pretty nasty bruiser. Like, I wouldn't want you to be coming up on the boards on me, dude. I'm not into that. <laughs> you know what's funny is that, like, the it's almost like growing up in the 90s, there was a certain type of player. It's all, like, generational, so, like, players were just tougher back then. And now there's players that are not many, but there are players that are six foot or, you know, between five, nine, six foot that are legitimate stars. And it's fully a generational thing. Like that wasn't necessarily an option when I was growing up for something to aspire to. There was maybe one or two like Theo Fleury or Martin Saint-Louis who were like shorter than me legitimately who made it against all odds. But now it's a little bit more common that a role player could be shorter um that would for sure be my dream that's that's besides being a musician which i am that was the one dream that that did come true being a hockey player would be the other one but in a more realistic sense it's something that i've only really started to get into in the last six months or so which is graphic design i've always been uh kind of the leader in in bayside land as far as like 
our aesthetic goes, but I was always too stupid and didn't have enough uh, patience to actually pick up Photoshop. <laughs> but uh, in the last, you know, six months or so, I've kind of just started to be more patient and get into using Procreate and stuff on the iPad to kind of just do design. And it's something, I don't know, I just love art and visual and, and pop culture art, that type of thing. My, my eyes just always drawn to it. So it's something that I aspire to do even now as a 39 year old, like it's something that I'm trying to pick up and, and get better at. Well, you know, everyone's stoked to see that Thank the Maker merch you're going to work on. Hell yeah. Sure. <laughs> merch store coming soon. I would say it's hard to say um, something creative for sure. I mean, I was in the process of enrolling into an audio engineering school when I joined Story of the Year or what would become Story of the Year because I had been in bands before that and they didn't work out. And I was kind of like between bands. So I figured, I love music. I want to make music. I'm going to go this path. I'm in St. Louis. It's not like LA or New York or something where there's enough musicians that I can just find another one that I feel like will make it out of the town that I'm in. So I was going down that road. But by that point, I was already, you know, into filmmaking on a very, very, very amateur level. I was into graphic design. So whatever I would have done would have involved technology and creativity. I probably would have had a shitty job for a long time, but it would have been one of those things, if not a combination of all of them, which is exactly what my life is now. I, I get interested in shit. I'm interested in technology and that happens to work in my favor. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, I like to edit video. Now we were doing video shit. Oh, I like to draw. Now I'm doing this. Now the iPad Pro comes out and I can whatever. So it'd be something creative. It would involve technology and everything would be all good. All right. Alex Wernham. This is a really cool question. This will be the last one. He says, which song written by the bands of the other two hosts would you like to have written? So I guess one from each. Yeah, I have a very awful. I don't follow stuff as far as like what the singles are. I'm not, I'm not checking out like, ooh, this is released right now and it's our new lyric video or it's our new thing. So I don't really know. Maybe this was a huge single for Bayside. I just know it's a song that I love. And asking me what, what Bayside song do I wish I'd written? Because I think this song is so sick. Nick, is it? Killing time, or is it killing time? The record. That's, that's, the, that's the question. <laughs> We're geniuses, and it's both. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to go with killing time from Bayside's record, Killing Time, uh, the song On Love, On Life. I love the lyric, I never felt as old and lonely as I felt when I was young and in love. The whole concept of that is just so sick to me. I love that song. I love Anthony's voice, and it's very showcased on that song, but lyrically and just the vibe of it you know you guys write a lot of legitimately true punk rock songs and so when you step out of that box and do some of that kind of super heartfelt acoustic driven stuff it, it's awesome love that song behind the scenes of that song though definitely was uh the last song written for that record it existed only as like Anthony Acoustic and he basically locked himself in, you know, whatever room we were recording up in uh, Woodstock, I believe, and taught himself that piano part because he was like, this is definitely like a Ben Folds song. It has to cool. be, there needs to be piano. So before that, he never, and I honestly, probably after that, he never played piano either. He just wow. insisted on it being a piano part that he played. And you know how it is. Like, I don't love every Bayside song. But that one, that's for sure. That's like a top 10 song for me. That, that's a great song. I love hearing that because I love that song. I love that um, one. Story of the year. I always go back to this song when I need just a fucking jam. From Black Swan, Wake Up. Dude, that chorus is so sick. Thanks, dude. And that record, I didn't go back and listen to that record till way after it came out. And it was because Ryan Mendez, previous guest of the show, guitar player for Yellow Card, was like, dude, did you hear what, what Story of the Year became after Page Avenue? Like some of the stuff, the riffs and shit they wrote on their records. And I was like, no, but down to check it out. And he was like, well, here, check this record out. And it was like, you know, you wrote it. That record is so balls to the wall. I love that song. That album is pretty much, I think, the the fan favorite. Like everybody, like all, all the diehards, of course, like have the nostalgic connection to the first album. But it seems like that's the favorite. We finally matured. We're not rebelling, but we're doing evolved stuff. It's still us, but it's next level kind of album. You know what I mean? That's when we finally like hit our stride. We were back with Feldman, but we were also with a new producer who was pulling new shit out of us. So. It's probably my favorite album as well. It's such a good record, man. Thanks, both, man. Both of those records for both of you guys are super good. 
Super important one for us. I know that much. I think just being in bands and we have a podcast about Star Wars, it's our unique uh, viewpoint to be able to talk about music and, and our bands. And, and Killing Time for us was for sure, if that album wasn't what it was and released when it was, we wouldn't be a band anymore. That's for sure. And we got to work with Gil Norton, who's like, Ugh. we we were uh, we were signed to wind up for that record. And they're like, who's your dream producer? We're like, uh, Gil Norton. And they were just like, okay, we'll get him. Cool. Dude. And I was just like, uh, okay. And it was, it was everything that I was cracked up to be. He was like the best dude to hang with. He was legitimately a genius and let us, it was the first time in our career that he let all four people do whatever they want and it worked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where yeah. like, I do know, you know what I mean. We had producers up until that point where it was just like, mm, Jack, that guitar doesn't work because of Anthony's vocals. And that never happened because like to Gil, everything was like equally as important and like basically was the foundation to the vocals or whatever being important. Everything needed to be good. And it was like such a breath of fresh air. And like I said, he was the coolest dude. We'd have beers with him every night. It was, he was just so good. Dude, Gil Norton came to, for those of you that don't know, Gil Norton produced the Foo Fighters Color and the Shape, yep. which is maybe the greatest rock and roll album of all time. Every Pixies record too, I think. Yeah. Couple Jimmy Worlds. I mean, I'm I'm really pretty much on legendary. record saying that I think Color in the Shape is the greatest rock record of all time. I mean, I know yeah. people would want to like fight me over that and say that's ridiculous, but that's just <laughs> how I feel. Gil Norton came to my myself and Yellow Card's bass player at the time, Pete Mosley, and I lived in Manhattan. We had an apartment in Manhattan, and I'm pretty sure it, Matchbook Romance was the band that Gil was seeing that night, and we oh, were well. friends with them. We had toured with them, so we went to see them at the show that night. And I think they were trying to get Gil to produce their next record too, because mm-hmm. you know Matchbook had kind of they had kind of a blow up moment too. So they were in the arena to get producers like that to make their record. So, anyways, everybody came to our apartment after, including Gil Norton. Like you said, he's the coolest dude. He's just chilling in our apartment, like drinking with us and hanging and talking. But the whole time, he thought Pete and I were in Matchbook Romance, and it was really <laughs> weird and uncomfortable because he kept talking to us yeah. about the record. And we were like, this is Gil Norton. We don't want to say, like, dude, you're talking to the wrong guy. We didn't want to, like, yeah. harsh. We didn't want to harsh his mellow, you know, as you say. Like, yeah. we didn't want to kill the vibe. So, But either way, he came to my house once. It was pretty cool. And still, it's just, I mean, not to keep riffing, but like, he's just a British dad. He's not like <laughs> a rock guy, you know, like he's not a rock dude. He's just a guy. And it's that that adds to him, his like whole aura so much. Yeah, I would say I took I took this question and put it like almost like what songs could Bayside play? And no one would know cool. that they were yeah. your, your songs. That's cool. So I would say like Anthem of Our Dying Day for sure. Could yeah. be a song we would throw in the set list, and and uh, people would just be like, "Sick Bayside song, guys." <laughs> and then lights and sounds for sure. I yeah. feel like that is absolutely a song that would. Uh, you I know, immediately I, can hear Anthony's vocals singing oh, that chorus, like just yeah. just it sounds right with him singing yeah. it. That's great. Absolutely. And I just remember hearing that song for the first time, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" It's like uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's like darker than you know the the previous stuff but well, it just most everyone who felt... liked our band would say that that, that it was yeah because they yeah, didn't yeah. like it anymore so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well it, it was just like more i mean i hate describing stuff like it, I was I more mature uh, i know you know but like it was a it was a rock song it was a foo fighter song it was you know it was it was could have been on killing time you know like that yeah it's just that type of thing which is why i was drawn to both of those songs really cool this is so interesting I fucking love this part of the conversation. This is great because I have similar answers. So for yellow card, I like on a career success level, like obviously ocean Avenue, <laughs> like <laughs> duh, that, that actually would have been like a great third single following until the day I die and Anthem mm-hmm. way better than sidewalks. But on like a, what I love the most and vibe with the most lights and sounds is mine as well. I remember hearing it being in my driveway at my old house in St. Louis and thinking like same thing like oh this is like clearly like evolved like next level like in retrospect i hear i didn't hear this at the time or whatever it didn't register with me but it's like got this like like you said foo fighters but like modern grungy kind of vibe like melodically in the riff that main riff is kind of just grungy and it's got this like nirvana almost like bush yeah when bush yeah. was good and not mm-hmm. douchey kind of vibe to it and i just i love that shit i came up on the same shit i had that riff for years I mean, years, like it was thrown around in 
basement rehearsals in the one for the kids era. Like, I mean, yeah. it went way back and it always was met with kind of like too, it was too, too grungy. It was like too, it sounded too much like Nirvana or too much like, and I mean, I got into punk rock, the nineties warp tour kind of version of punk rock. I got into it pretty late. I mean, it was like my junior and senior year of high school up to that point. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what the warp tour was. I, I have listened to Nirvana and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Same. Stone Temple Pilots and on and on and on. I mean, I was a grunge kid. So I had riffs like that a lot of times, but that one, I just, it always stuck around. It was one of the early drop D yeah, yeah. tuning riffs that I had. And I remember having it going like, this sounds like a fucking sick 90s grunge song and therefore it won't work, you know, in Yellow Card. But with that whole record, we set out on this mission. Lights and Sounds should have been our third record. Listen up, kids. Don't do your sophomore breakout album. Do your junior breakout album. Like where you're trying to reinvent the band. Wait for the third one. Yeah, listen to Linkin Park. Follow their advice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd say it worked out for them pretty well. Yeah, so anyways, I had it for a long time. And it's funny that you both you know, mentioned that song because it almost just never became anything. And then when we set out on this mission to make this rock record with Lights and Sounds, we were so deliberate with the writing choices we made to go in that direction it was like the perfect fit. I mean, it was, dude, this is the highest charting song we ever had. Ocean Avenue was bigger because it charted at top 40 radio, but License Sounds was a top five single at rock radio. My Bayside song, I guess I have one pick, but I have uh, an honorable mention. And I think my choice is cool. Is that, can I think that my choice is cool? Because sure, it's dude. from your, yes. your latest album. Like you said, it it's cool that pretty much all of your fans will agree that it's like one of your best albums. It's universally loved by even old fans which is the sweetest feeling ever as a musician lucky bastard. i really 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 love that song <laughs> white flag me oh, yeah. too dude it's got a sick like that opening riff propaganda like big wig punk riffy yes. vibe you know it's disgusting yeah. and I, I love that kind of shit like i'm a punk fan but when you can hear like older almost like metal influences in punk bands that's the shit i really love like propaganda maturing to where they are now they're like clearly like fucking Iron Maiden fans and shit, even though they're <laughs> yeah. like a straight like, political punk band. thrash metal band. Yeah, hmm. so I love hearing those influences, I assume, here, or maybe just similarities, Yeah, right? To me, I hear, like, especially in, like, parts of the verse, like Motorhead, but I would lean more, like, in that you said propaganda, like, oh, first of all, my, my girlfriend is from Winnipeg, and she says it's propaganda, so I don't know. I don't know who's right. She's from Winnipeg, so... I've, heard it, <laughs> I've heard it said both ways. I know yeah. they say propaganda, <laughs> but I call... Gandhi, Gandhi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why would you make the Gandhi reference if you're not going to pronounce it Gandhi? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, to me, the the one thing when I think about that song is like, you know, when you hear a no effect song and you're like, wait, that's musically wrong. <laughs> uh, that to me, like there's parts in that where I'm just like, wait, what? Uh, okay. And you just have to like learn it. The You almost have to like stop being a musician to like learn a part. And I don't right. know. Like I'm not the most musical person in the world. So there's times where like I would just have to sit there and be like, okay, this is here. This is here. This is here. I just got to learn it the way it is until it lives in me because it just <laughs> doesn't come natural. <laughs> so that that was for sure one of those songs. So it was just like tough for you to learn because it was outside of your wheelhouse kind of? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Not that, that can... I like, I like listening to stuff like that, but I'm, we'd never wrote like that before. So I was just like, oh, okay, it's not easy. That's that's good for our eighth record. It shouldn't become easy. Right. I was just going to say that that whole mentality, that whole experience of being not the most musical person surrounded by the musical people can go both ways. Like I never took guitar lessons. I just started playing guitar and I never cared about learning other people's songs or how to play them. I always just wanted to write my own songs. So I was always terrible, like at high school, sit around jam sessions where everyone wanted to play songs. Cause I, as much as I love Nirvana, I never learned all the records. It's just not what Mm -hmm. I was into. I wanted to write my own songs. But that said, that meant I would write shit that was really weird. The (laughs) way I would write chords and stretch my hand to do shit where my friends who I was playing with, who were like the most talented shredding guitar players, you know, we all went to art school in Jacksonville and they were like in band and orchestra would be like, dude, you can't do that. You can't, you can't, you can't play it like that. You know what I mean? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah but I am. Yeah. So it goes both ways. That's funny. We have that within the band. Cause like I, Anthony's the main songwriter and he'll take that approach. Be like, Oh, I came up with this crazy chord. Like, look, I got to do this. And then Jack is like, yeah. he's a shredder, shredder. And very musical. And he's like, Oh no, it's really easy if you just do this. And then it's like the same thing, but different, you know, right. it's like two yeah. different people playing, the same thing 
it's just different. Their fingers are different and they play yeah. differently and it just sounds different. And nine times out of 10, Jack loses because it you just do it the weird sounds way. better. Just yeah, it actually it just way. sounds better the, the Anthony way. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. My honorable mention, though, is from the same album, the song Prayers. Yeah. I love that swampy, swingy vibe. I love like Southern, just like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I love swampy shit. It's a good vibe. Thank you. I appreciate all whatever you guys are saying. It's very nice to hear. I have a playlist, <laughs> an Apple Music playlist called Children of the Swamp, and this would fit right in there. It's like Queens <laughs> of the Stone Age, but heavier. <laughs> it's really weird. Like, I, I feel like I'm a Sith. I only deal in absolutes. So the fact that I uh, we can't tour, I just don't think about the band right now. I'm just like, what's the point? I can't think of music right now, like my own music. Pretty Sithy. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty, Pretty dark. Sithy. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, that that song, it was the most relieving feeling. That was the first song we released from the newest record. And we've never had a reaction that quick. Not that people like liked it more than other songs, but like people loved it right away. And we were just like, oh, thank goodness. They're going to like the whole album then because it was like That's a dope. heavier, faster, aggressive re- album. We referenced System of a Down a lot on that song in particular. It was It was definitely... A sigh of relief when people were just like, this is amazing. And I was just like, oh, thank goodness. Okay. All right. (laughs) Another feeling. All right. That wraps it up. We should do this again sometime. We should definitely do this again. Maybe once a month. I'm thinking the same thing. Love it. This was super fucking fun, guys. It's good stuff. So thank you, everyone, for submitting questions. If you guys want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. And it sounds like we might be getting into these AMA episodes more regularly. So sign up for the Jedi tier, if you please, and be a part of one of these episodes. But if you already are a patron at the Jedi tier, and you're listening to this in your regular podcast feed, you're actually missing the premium patron-only full-length version of this episode. So go back to Patreon, find this week's post, which includes the RSS links, so you can get the extended cut of this episode, more questions, more fun stuff, good times. It was just a good hang. Agreed. If you're looking for the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMaker1, the number one, and like we said, on Patreon at patreon.com slash ThankTheMakerPod. My personal is at Adam the Skull. My personal is at William Ryan Key. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Bayside. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, may the Force be with you. 